in his name. Lord, we ask your blessing this hour upon the message that we have prepared for this day. Help us, Lord, to be about the work which you have sent us forth to do, to take the message of Easter and to share it with those that are around us. In Christ's name we ask, amen. Do you ever consider what a transformation Easter really made on those disciples? I mean, I know that when they got to the tomb, the women came back and they reported what had happened. If you remember, Peter and John run to the tomb and they really don't, it, it takes them a while to get it. And even so, I'll talk about it in a minute, Thomas uh, doubted. He didn't believe until he could see and put his fingers into the hand of Jesus and into those nail prints. But what a transformation when they finally kicked on in their brain that he has really risen from the dead. Now I'm going to tread for a minute and talk about a transformation that I don't want to get political with, okay? So if I start to talk, I was thinking yesterday, you see when I went back to speak at my home church, they're a mixed bag, those people. You're a mixed bag, you people. (laughs) But I noticed their politics. I noticed it by the clothes they wore, the hats they had, and the way they acted. And as I sat there speaking to them, and it's a very informal arrange, informal arrangement, I'm looking at them, and, and they kind of aligned themselves with each other, and I knew where they were at. It is, what I thought as I drove home yesterday is how sad it is in the church today that we allow that to trip us up so much. Because it isn't about the politics. It's about Jesus. So I hope you'll listen to what I'm about to say in that vein. And this isn't real political what I'm going to say, but some of you will have an opinion. Transformation. When I was in high school, I got a Volkswagen. In fact, it was eighth grade. It wasn't even high school yet. I got a Volkswagen. It was my grandfather's. I cut nine inches off the back of it, straight square down, 12 inches off the front of it, straight square down, took the fenders off, ordered from J.C. Whitney Catalog a Baja buggy kit, got myself an exhaust. Now, they were designed with a little curly cue because the back end's now open. You don't have a hood anymore. And I turned that curly cue, had a guy heat it up with a torch, and we bent it so that instead of going out sideways like you usually see them, I had that puppy coming straight up out of the back like a trumpet. I can tell you how big the top of it was because remember your old Cremora lids? Remember the old Cremora powder in the big jar? The big jar lid would fit right on top of that trumpet. I know that because I had to put that lid on there and drill holes in it to act as a baffle because the local sheriffs didn't like the noise I made. Fortunately, I worked at a grocery store. I had a ready supply of Cremora lids and damaged goods. But anyway... I'd have never dreamt in about 1976 when that was going on that today my oldest son would own a totally electric car. Uh Uh-oh, here comes the politics, right? Because what just popped in your head is all this stuff about global warming and why don't we have oil and why is gas so much and all that stuff. Leave it alone. I would have never guessed that my son would drive a totally electric car, and he does. And and since we were down to see him, it's got me a little bit interested in this guy that's trying to buy Twitter 
It got me a little bit interested in this guy named Elon Musk, and I've kind of been just in my spare time occasionally looking at something he said or something he's written. I've listened to some books that, uh, not he wrote, but that were about him. And, you know, in 2014, he produced 50,000 electric cars. Now, you say, well, that doesn't mean anything. Well, wait and stop. Do you know that there have been over 100 companies that started and went bankrupt trying to produce electric cars in the United States? He not only sold 50,000 of them, he predicted that by 2020 he would sell a half a million of them. You know what his sales was in, were in 2020? 510,000 electric cars. Just this past Friday, Tesla came out with their prediction for 2024, and they predict that in 2024, they will produce one and a half, sell one and a half million Tesla motor vehicles. Now, can I tell you something? I love gasoline, carbon-powered, you know, all that stuff, fuel. I, I love a four-barrel 454 Chevy engine. A another truck that I transformed back in high school, I bought this truck, I actually didn't buy it, I traded a guy for it. I ripped all the stuff out of it, painted the inside baby powder blue, put two bucket seats into it, got myself, remember the big boxes they used to put in the Chevy and Ford vans right here? Put that baby in there, took the radio out, threw in an 8-track tape player, baby powder blue in, and it was metal flake blue, dark blue on the outside. I had big chrome wheels, Mohawk 60 tires on the back end, and I went to my local wrecking yard, and they had a 454 big block Chevy engine with a big four-barrel carburetor. It barely fit under that hood, but I made it fit. And I want to tell you, that summer I went through more tires than you could ever imagine in your life. I'd slide that thing around on every bend I got to. It just had a party. That's not where we're headed, folks. Those will be collector's items in the future. Because the reality is, and if you were to ask Elon Musk, why are you doing this? Your immediate idea would be, well, it's for the money. I'm sure that's part of it. But he would tell you that we have to come to the reality that oil is that not an infinite substance, but rather a finite substance. And somehow or another, we have to deal with that fact and it's better to get ahead of the curve than it is to get behind it. The whole industry as we know it, our way of life is going to change probably before I, unless I, I go early. I hope to get another 20 more years out of this model. If I get another 20 years, I'll bet you will see that the whole industry will be changed. Those disciples had lived in their Jewish mindset all their lives looking for something that they really didn't think, probably deep down inside, was going to happen in their lifetime. And now they were witnesses to it. And everything's changed. On the evening of the first day of the week, Jesus comes behind locked doors. We don't know if he walked through a wall or how he got in there, but he comes through the doors and he says to them, Peace be with you. He stands amongst them as the risen Lord. 
Remember, he's appeared to Mary Magdalene at one point. He's appeared to these other women at another point. He had appeared to Peter. He had appeared to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appears here, minus Thomas, because Thomas is missing in action. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. These wounds that he showed them, they were more than just, yeah, that's him. I think it began to trigger in their mind, this is what saved me. This, if he's risen from the dead, he's really God. And if he's really God, he's the only one that can forgive my sins. And there's something going on here. I may not have read the systematic theology on this, but there's something real about this. Something's changed. When Jesus says, peace be with you, he's saying, them, saying to them, I am now your peace. Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, the one called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And here goes Thomas. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. About six months ago, I was walking through Mark's. Probably told you this before. What I love about Mark's is between the lettuce and the hot dogs, you can find like men's underwear. I mean, it's a great store. I'm walking through there one day, and I found a little fishbowl. About six months ago, I said, Easton needs a fishbowl. I brought it home, and Easton came to the house. And I said, Easton, I got you a fishbowl. And ever since that time, every time Easton comes, he says, Papa, are we going to get a fish? The last time he was there, I said to him, Easton, you can't just put a fish into spigot water. You've got to wait and let that water sit for a while to get the chlorine out of it. And then you can put a fish in it because it'll kill the fish. So yesterday my phone rang, and it was my grandson. He said, Papa? I said, yeah. He said, I'm coming to your house tomorrow. I said, you are, huh? And he said, yeah. He said, you know what that means? I said, it means I should go somewhere. He said, no. We need to go get a fish. <laughs> I said, oh, No. You know what Thomas is saying? You can tell me all day long what you're telling me, but I'm not going to believe it until I see it. You want to tell me that he's risen from the dead? I want to stick my finger in there. Papa, you want to prove to me that you got me a fishbowl? The fishbowl means nothing unless there's a fish in the bowl. You want to tell me Jesus rose from the dead? It means nothing unless I experience it for myself. So eight days later, the disciples are inside again, and Thomas is with them, and the doors are locked, and Jesus comes and says again, peace to you. And he looks at Thomas, and he says, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, put it in my side, do not disbelieve, but believe. If you were to do a word-for-word translation of what that last sentence says, here's what it would say. Stop becoming faithless, but become a believer. 
I like that better than don't disbelieve but believe. Stop allowing yourself to travel in the wrong direction, Thomas. Then Thomas answered him and said, there's now a goldfish in my bowl. He said, my Lord and my God. It's funny how when people realize who Jesus is, how they refer to him. I get really kind of angst when somebody says to me, the big guy upstairs. I align that with taking his name in vain. You may not, but that's kind of how I see that. He's not the big guy upstairs. He's God. When John the Baptist referred to Jesus, he said this, I've seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. Nathaniel, when he realized who Jesus says, Rabbi, you're the Son of God. Jesus said, the hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. They will hear and they will live. When Jesus healed the blind man in John 9. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And Martha, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lord, I believe it. You are the Son of God who's coming into the world. Thomas, when he experienced what Jesus truly was and who Jesus truly was. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the disciples, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. Interesting what what John writes for us. He did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that he did not write down. But he wrote these down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you'll have life in his name. Jesus literally changes everything. Jesus, dead in the tomb and resurrected, literally changes everything. What happened to the disciples? Their fear suddenly transformed into gladness. The scripture that we read this morning said this, when the disciples saw the Lord, they were glad. The resurrection Transforms, transforms our ignorance into knowledge. Really don't know who this guy is, but now he's risen from the dead. That sort of changes the way I see him and the way I believe him about him. Do you ever think that you're part of a group that doesn't know what they're doing or where they're going to? If you just said to yourself, yeah, it's right here at the church, you're in good company. Why do I say that? Because the scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. Easter morning is so very important because Jesus rose from the dead. But do you know what got the disciples to the empty tomb? It was walking and trusting in something that they couldn't see, couldn't touch. It was walking and living as Thomas was living in the moment. I'm not going to believe unless I see, but I want to look because I think there may be something to this. 
Some of you have spent your whole life in that position, but you're waiting for that Shazam moment, that resurrection moment when you physically see Jesus walk out of the tomb. That isn't, what, that isn't what's going to happen. These are written so that you may believe and have life in his name. We go by the witness of those that have gone before that. Can I tell you something that I love? We don't know, but he does. Did you ever think about that? We don't know, but he does. That applies so much to our life together. Because usually when we get confused about what we see, it's because you're looking at someone other than him. I've told this before, but many years ago, I was sent into a bar to pull somebody out of it. I was a very young pastor. I should have probably taken someone with me, but I just went there and uh, got who I had to get and yanked them out of there at an hour when no good Christian person should have been out. And somebody saw me. (laughs) And the question should have been, well, what were you doing there? (laughs) But that wasn't the question. The question was, what's our pastor doing there, right? Stop looking at people. Start looking at him. You're wondering, why am I here? Stop looking at what you're doing and start looking at what he's calling you to. He said to those disciples, as the Father has sent me, I now send you. He said those as, that as resurrected. And he was speaking to us. These things are written so that you may have life. Not just that you can say, oh, praise Jesus, I'm bored again. But rather you can say there's a reason and a purpose for me being here at this time for such a time as this. I have made known to them your name and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. That is what Jesus prayed for us so that the way that he lived, we would live and the way that he loved would be the way that we loved. Then he looks at them and says, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. I'm giving it to you. What you bind on earth will be bound on earth and what you loose on earth will be loosed on earth. What he's saying is is we have the ability to forgive just as he forgave us. We need to practice it. I'll tell you a real sad statistic I read in a book not recently but not long ago either. The Barner Report asked church-going people this question. Define the Great Commission. How many of you could define the Great Commission today? They found that 49% of the people walking out of a church door could not give an adequate description of what the Great Commission was. Those were his parting words to us. That was his final message to us. Go and tell others. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And you know the story well. On the day of Pentecost, they did receive the Holy Spirit. Before he went up, he said, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And he gave them that commission, and he pumped into them the power, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And they went out. And the the fact that John wrote... These things are written that you may believe 
It's verified the fact that the disciples did go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. And you and I are here today by virtue of the very witness of those early believers. Jesus did many other things which are not written in the book, but these are written so that you may believe. Church, we're a week out from Easter. How's your belief? We're a week out from Easter. How's your belief? Do you believe enough to obey what he's told you to do? Do you believe enough to go where he sent you to go? Do you believe enough to give up of yourself in order to do what he's called us to do? It will only happen when you realize that the resurrection changes everything. I'm not talking about methods. I'm not talking about ministries. I'm not talking about programs. I'm not talking about music. I'm talking about us. When it comes down and hearing changes this, that is when we will be changed and will no longer be what we once were, but we will be what he's called us to be. Amen. Let's sing together.